When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, The Wire is a great example, you know. It it was a show that kind of existed outside of Hollywood's traditional structure. It's one reason why um, they didn't get that many Emmy nominations when the show was on. Uh, because they were making this show in Baltimore. They were using these actors that were English or actors that were like uh, like, uh, like Michael Kay, who, who um, you know, weren't really on anybody's radar screen. David Simon and the folks who worked on the show, I think of the writers particularly, um, you know, kind of enjoyed their outsider status, you know, which I think also kind of pissed off Hollywood a little bit. So, um, so, so, so it was nice that The Wire could, could feature these people who would normally uh, never get much of a shot um, in traditional Hollywood. Hey everybody, I'm Kobe. And I'm Dave. And welcome to The Wire Strip. We're the podcast that goes through each episode of The Wire, one by one. And you don't just hear from us, you hear from some of the cast, some of the crew, and some of you guys too. Yes, uh, this week we are doing episode 8 of season 4. It's called Corner Boys. Uh, and if you want to chat to us about anything you hear on this episode or anything you think we've missed or whatever, uh, you can do it at The Wire Strip on Twitter, Instagram, uh, or email us, burner at thewirestrip.com. Without any further ado, let's get to the chat that we recorded earlier. Season 4, episode 8, Corner Boys. When you walk through the garden, you gotta watch your back. Well, I beg your pardon. Walk the straight and narrow track. When you walk with Jesus, He's gonna save your soul. Just gotta keep the devil way down in the hole. Hey guys, welcome to the Wire Strip Podcast. Myself and Dave are here at Marlowe's Playground. Is it a playground? Is it a playground? Yeah, it's kind of like... It, if it's a playground, it's some seriously unused and yeah. rotting playground. Yeah, but there's kind of... It's, it's a bit like a skate park vibe. Yeah. Skate park playground, maybe unused. Flat concrete. Yeah. Well, I love it. it. It's almost like, it's almost like um, a court. Mm. It's a courtyard in a way, but it's almost like a court. The way he holds court there, you know, he's got his three chairs. Sure. <laughs> you know, and people come and sit down next to him, and it's like, come. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like a, it's like his own little. And it gives it it dispels his his advice, and then they yeah, go. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It is. It's. It's. There's something Arthurian about it. Mm. But the, I kind of. I kind of like how humble it all is. You know, it's like yeah, Mar- yeah, It's definitely. not like Stringer Bell up in a penthouse and Barksdale <laughs> in the, you know, in the the back of the strip funeral. club. You know, the yes, glamorous strip true. club or the funeral home. The glamorous strip club. <laughs> um, you know, he's a very. But there's a. There's probably a tactical element to it as well, where he's in the open air. Maybe mm-hmm. it's. 
he can see he can see everyone coming from a mile off. That's true. You also also feel like he could be picked off from a window, though. He could be picked off from, but I think, I mean, this is again part of Herc's stupidity. I don't know, stupidity is maybe harsh, but Herc's ineptitude. Stupidity is not harsh. <laughs> Herc's ineptitude here is that Marlowe's picked up for a reason. He's got people on every possible entrance and they probably yeah. see people going in and out of they probably know who's in any who's in in any building at any one time so he's got the whole area cordoned off so to to be coming in there rolling in with your with your massive diesel engined minivan <laughs> yeah 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 um again he never stood Herc. a chance Herc never stood a chance no not at all so that's where we are anyway uh this is a, there's quite a bit that happens um in this episode particularly in the schools um where do you want to start dave Let's start uh, with Prez in his class. He's got a he's got some math problems. There was a get, get a nice little scene here where um, um, he gives them uh, sort of four options to you know it's a classic sort of uh, multiple choice multiple choice apples yep. thing, um, and one of the little kids is is, is just like the answer is B. Well, how did you work that out? And he explains that he was just, you know, it's the one that you were tapping previously <laughs> from previous classes, which I love this. Like, definitely. It's so f- funny, but it also just shows you that these kids are uh, wise and clever mm. and street smart as well. Like, like even the ones that who are maybe lacking in the sort of common educational intelligence have... They know how to get around things. Smarts. Yeah, because there's, there's like stories of um, you know people who can't read. Um, quite often, you'll never know. You, you'll they're, they're very very good at hiding it mm. um, because they've just got they've got the, the wily wily ways of you know avoiding avoiding reading in front of people. So you you would just assume that people can read. Yeah. Um, so it's that kind of thing where they just know how to play the game, they know how to play the system. So in this case, he. He identifies the correct answer by the dinks, but not by doing it properly. And that just, you know, it just sets them up. It just shows the kind of mindset they have. They can get, they can get to an answer, maybe not by the right way, but it gets an answer. Yeah, every, everyone expresses intelligence in kind of different ways. Even with even with Sherrod, as you said, you know, he can't read, but he he shows as Bubbles discovered this like artistic um, mm. side to him. Yeah. yeah. You know, which is like you know, he he was creative and expressing creativity in just a, in a different form. Oh, Rashad has eighty-two apples and twelve friends, all of whom are hungry. And uh, so he looks carefully at his apples and he sees that seven have worms, and another fifteen have gone rotten. But he wants to be fair and distribute all the good apples equally. Distribute? Give out. We'll just say that, yo. Okay, so how many apples does each of Rashad's friends get? A, four, B, five, C, six, or D, seven. Take your time, but do it fast. I got my rights. That's what a boy said. Oh yeah, well here's a left to go to right. He's like, oh. <laughs> Calvin, you done already? Uh-huh. Yeah? B, five. How'd you work that out so fast? Easy. 
B5 got the dinks. What? If you want, I can show you. You did this with the early math class, right? So you like got 82 apples, 12 niggas, <laughs> and then how many, blah, blah, blah. Then you went like dinking all around this one and no other one. So the answer is B5. Everybody get that? Yeah. B5, it got all the dinks. B5, and I'm Audi 5,000. We also, staying with prayers, he, we see in this episode he gets, you know, quite frustrated by um, the sort of the curriculum mm. and the, the test and, you know, having to, to um, be very prescriptive with the, 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 the way he's teaching and it kind of doesn't suit him and he's railing against that, which is interesting because he's not somebody like Bunny who traditionally is like trying to test systems. Prez always struck me as a character who fit well into logic and puzzles and 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 like systems and games and he kind of just always kind of did what he was told but press is like connecting with the kids and that's what you know that's why he went to the effort of teaching them how to play dice because he knew it was like i can teach them but also help connect with them on their level so the, yeah. the fact that he's He's, he's experimenting gonna, as well, isn't he? Yeah. Finding, he's finding what, his pathway. Like we've watched him over these episodes try one way and fail. Yeah. And then, you know, he's trying a different way and succeeding. So now he, now, yeah, now he's getting frustrated that he can't do what he wants to do. Yeah. Or, and, or what he sees working. Speaking of trying to do things uh, uh, different ways, though, uh, let's check in with... Um, Bunny and the and the doctor and the the the, the and whole special psychological class. experiment. Mm. Um, so the, the kind of Bunny has a bit of a breakthrough here, and we see um, their new teacher come in, who's a, a sociologist and a psychologist, I believe. Um, and she's quite impressive. Um, but she, cause, yeah, because so is she an external person? Wasn't that clear? But assuming assuming so, I think so. I think well, Bunny kind of asks the you know the the. The prof the doctor professor whatever he is, um, who she is, and he sort of offhandedly says, you know, she's she's an expert. Because he seems to psychologist. Because she seems to get a handle of those guys in the classroom. <coughs> yeah, quite really easily. quickly. Yeah, in a way that Prez couldn't. So she does command their respect and authority. Yeah, and asks them some really interesting questions. Mm. I thought so, and really heartbreaking stuff. You know, she asks them. What their view of themselves is, um, and what their hopes and dreams are, and you get the the little the little kid Albert says he wants to be a kingpin, <laughs> and she says, "Oh yeah, what's your timeline for that? Like two years is what he says," um, and then she says, "Let's think about let's think a bit bit further out. Like let's think, you know, ten years. How many? What do you what do you think? Where where do you think you're going to be in ten years?" and and she says, "How many?" And she's 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 really good. She's like, "How many of you said NBA players?" You know, she kind yeah. of like plays around with a bit, and then it's like, "How many of you said dead?" And then you get hands up, including Naaman. Including Naaman, yeah, yeah. And Naaman, I don't know if he. Again, this is him we talked about in the, in the last episode. Him kind of like acting out in the way that's not really Naaman. Um, he's just being. He's just feeling that he's almost having to push the limits, push the boundaries a bit here, and see what's going on. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's doing it just for laughs, but I don't really feel that he believes what he's saying in in the comments. I don't know. 
No, I I get the sense of Naaman's on a path that has been set for him by his mother and his dad and yeah. the world, the only world he knows, but he's not suited to that. And I think even he kind of knows that deep down. Well, but but he can't, I think he, <coughs> excuse me, I think he, I think he genuinely did, does think that he's likely will be dead in 10 years. Okay. Um, I think he does because I think he understands the danger of this world he's entering um and can and it's kind of just like in in, in it's also indicative of they can't imagine a future for yeah. themselves they literally can't see them even being alive right there's no future for them oh, that's dark that's horrible it is dark but there's but there's optimism in this scene as well because then little albert who said he wants to be a kingpin 5 minutes ago says well actually in 10 years i want to be a pediatric ne- neurosurgeon like but like Ben Carson and they they have he has this little connective moment with the uh the doctor who hands him the name Ben Carson mm. and for me this was like really optimistic this moment of like well hang on none of them are even a minute ago he wasn't able to imagine 10 years from now he was just thinking i'm going to be a kingpin that's his path right and he's yeah. you know he's naming his little lieutenant and and all this and suddenly when he was presented with something a bit more longer term and a bit more optimistic he was able to come up with an inspirational figure you know a black um neurosurgeon <laughs> I mean, he had the inspirational figure, but then instantly his that opportunity was dashed because he then had to get grades, which he wasn't going to get do to go to medical school, which he wasn't going to do in his current situation. I know. I know. Um, it was brought back down to earth pretty quick. Yeah, it was. It was in a massive heap. Oh man, I've seen that all the time. I was sometimes put into that special class as a kid. This is, of course, the one and only Naimand, played brilliantly by Julito McCullum. You can tell that. Naaman's uh, Naaman lashing out was from a deeper place than other kids, right? There's some kids who eventually they'll chill out, right? Because they realize, okay, I'm not getting anything out of being the bad kid, so let me just focus up and do some work. Or, but Naaman would never, he wouldn't tire, man. Naaman had a immense kind of deep hurt inside of him. And I think Bunny saw that early on when, and to choose him to be in that class, I think was imperative when they name and surviving, man. I don't think if name got into that classroom and realized that it was not, it was, it was, it was deep. I don't think name would have survived the streets, man. I think what he got out of being in that smaller class with Bunny was, was a sense of like, I don't need to show out anymore. I don't need to be this, this facade of myself. I think, Naaman needed the bunny in his life in that moment. And I think what he got out of it was like, I, I can I can change because this is not me. And I think Bunny was just perfect at seeing that in Naaman and, and helping him, you know, move on from it. I and mean, with Naaman, he's we go back to him kind of at home, TV on in his bedroom. I don't imagine Bodie those guys are make you know, making up the package and the vials themselves, are they? Um, with other other no, parents' houses, it's really low rent. Isn't it is, it? yeah. And, but you know, when you're starting out in a business, you do everything. You you do the accounts, you pay the wages, you you know, you do the stock taking. And when when his mum comes in and says, "No, no, no, you need to get a lieutenant to do this," I was kind of like, I kind of get it, but also he he needs to do everything in the moment. He needs to learn the system properly. Yeah. Um. You don't touch the package, man. 
No, you don't touch the package. <laughs> <laughs> Get the lieutenants to touch your package. Come on, Kobe. Sorry. Have you no. learned nothing from the wire? I haven't. I haven't. I haven't researched how. You've been paying attention. How to play with packages. <laughs> Each neighborhood around the world, even in the UK, it's always a mom that's willing to pass that baton on that their to their child that their dad had. You're listening to Anwan Glover, who played Slim Charles. That his dad was portraying a, um, this gangster drug dealer, and she wanted her dad and one of his one of her child to you know be the man of the house and go out there and, and and make a living to make sure the household is tight. And that's and that's that's everywhere. You, we just you, we're just not able to see that showcased. But I think in every neighborhood in America, even in the UK, Africa, it's always a mom to say. Hey, you got to be the man in the house. Your dad's gone. He's not coming back. He's dead. He's incarcerated. You got to go out here and sell his dope, and and we got to make a living. It's sad, but it's true. And um, I think the writers were brilliant at that point because they showed that side. And that's Baltimore, Charm City. It's called Charm City, but there's nothing charming about Baltimore but down where the pretty part at. When you go in, sad Baltimore. You gotta, you gotta be on your toes, because <laughs> it will, it will happen. But it's some, it's some very super nice people, some super smart people in Baltimore. But um, I thought that was a brilliant writing to showcase Naaman's mom. She was tough. I really like though. You, we also get a glimpse of Naaman's insightfulness later when so like Bunny has this breakthrough with the with the class and they're reaching them on their levels they're talking about like what it takes to be a corner boy we've mm-hmm. seen all this that they're starting to open up and then suddenly there's a scene later where we cut to name like an excited name and who's like talking about you know the hypocrisy of the of, of the world and tobacco and yeah, alcohol yeah. are more dangerous and what's the difference and like he's expressing quite interesting and 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 rational viewpoints about society like the stuff that kind of the wire itself is is dealing with um so he's got like a brain on him yeah Naaman's not stupid and that's probably that's probably the one of the most depressing things about it we, we know he's not stupid yeah yet uh, his bravado and his ego mm, always and his, get the and his life circumstances yeah definitely dan deluca who played my partner and the schools. This is the man that brought Bunny Colvin to life. It's Robert Wisdom. That was a, a great ride for us uh, because we did a lot of the research and stuff together, you know, going to University of Maryland and talking to uh, professors up there about the school system. So we got kind of that that big, um, big brush thing. And then we just went in and after we met the kids and it just got particularized. Any scene that I had with Bunny was always really good. Such a such a great actor, dude. He's really uh he's a kind actor. Like where he wants you to get your stuff off and he'll just sit back. And I I love that about all the older characters on the show, man. They cared about the kids so much and they wanted to see us win and do justice to the role. And they anytime we got to scenes got to do scenes with them, they always were so generous with like making sure that we got out our stuff off, man. Because we were nervous, you know, going into this show with these big, at this time, they're all big actors, you know, and here come these kids. And it was it was nerve-wracking a little bit. So so Michael gets home and discovers that his um, mom has 
sold their literally sold the food out of their mouths as as he says it yeah for yeah. for drug money and it's interesting because michael here at this point is the man of the house um and he's the one that's he's the one that controls the money yeah which is i mean which is like okay good and, and that's how he kind of commands the house at the moment because he's the one that textbooks to school comes back helps him with his homework makes sure he's clean and that's his kind of role as protector, and that's great because he holds it's, the money. Because his mother is not a, not capable, not of capable it, of doing yeah. it. If she if she's selling the food, which is literally the saddest, because I was it's quite depressing that the Dukies people are selling school clothes for drugs money. Yeah. But if they're selling food for drug money, then this just shows what kind of dire situation people are in. Um, but then later in the episode, Bug's father comes back, and then he's now the man in the house, but. Michael's not happy about it because it, it seems there's, there's, yeah. there's, there's. He flinches when, when he's been touched. Man goes to touch him. Yeah, yeah. Um. So that, yeah, this I think this will unfold. We're not going to talk about it so much here because it, it kind of unfolds in in future episodes. But this is the first time Michael's uh, sorry, Bug's father comes back into the episode into the yeah. season. And I think they they you know. They. They express a lot through Michael's reactions here mm. uh, and his panic when he goes to pick up Bug at a at the later part of the episode and he's not there. Mm. Uh, you know, he's he's living in fear of of this man. Yeah. Um, and it's we're getting you know, we're even a first time viewer can read between the lines here. I think. Right, as you all know, we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash The Wire Strip. But we now have another way you can help us out and the Ella Thompson Fund. Yeah, so if you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe to us um, to get a lot of the same benefits as a Patreon account. But it makes it easier if you want to help contribute to the lovely people at Ella Thompson Fund, who, just to remind you, I'm sure we've said a few times this episode already, but they help support underprivileged kids in Baltimore in the way that Cutty did in The Wire. Uh, yeah, so you can get access to our episodes early. You can get access to our full uh, interviews uh, with the cast and crew, uh, including our extended interview with uh, David Simon. No adverts on there as well. And also Basking in the Glory, they help me out a lot of lovely people in Baltimore and the kids there. It's simple. If you're on Apple Podcasts, scroll up the feed now and there's a button for you to click on and it costs less than the price of a coffee every month to support lots of lovely people. Politics. We're with Karketi, and he's going round, and he's doing his ride-along thing. He's packing a lot in, isn't he? Well, good. He's getting, a, he's seeing all the departments. It's like one of my friends, um, he got a graduate university, after, after, after graduating from university, got a job at Sainsbury's, um, but what these guys have to do? Can't wait the- till this ties around to the wire. <laughs> 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 Stick with it, kids. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so he, he got a grad job at Sainsbury's. So he's working in the big shiny offices. But everyone who works there at yeah. some point has to work on the shop floor in Sainsbury's to know how it works. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is what Carcetti's doing. He's he's doing exactly. He's, he's, learning he's packing the, the shelves, he's learning the ropes. He's learning yeah, ropes. He's packing shelves. But he's learning ropes by seeing how not to do it. Because yeah, he just, his trip with the Eastern was a oh, bit of a disaster. Fuck's sake. Yeah. What what's interesting here is that the he um he it's clear that Carcetti can see that this is not the way it should be done mm. but they are so proud of themselves right like, they, they, that's they, one yeah <laughs> oh god is the worst <laughs> that's two mr mayor <laughs> these guys are going around like they're in csi miami mm. like they're in a cop show you know they're in the shield they're busting heads 
uh, it, this is like Herc and Carve from uh, last season, yeah. right? At the beginning of last season in the Western. This is their, literally their counterparts in the Eastern. But it's, it's so bad that the, the first guy to stop, he's just cycling along, presumably going to work, stops to buy drugs, and he goes, well, just... You go buy them over there, you yeah, get them. You just yeah. do it over there. Yeah. It's like, no, you get them for me. It's just like, it's like, they, they was, that that was, you know, they, they describe it. Carcetti describes it later as in uh, as entrapment or uh, like or something like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like they basically coerced him into doing that, which is in a way, which is gash. It's it's, it's the worst. And yeah. obviously, like I said, Carcetti sees right through it. Not impressed. He's probably detached at this point. He can't. He can't. He just thinks, what is the point? And off he goes to Rawls to have a chat about him. Rawls goes, um, well, we have to juke the stats. And because, yeah. because of affirmative action, Rawls, guys. Yeah, yeah, I know. He blames it on affirmative action. <laughs> the absolute goal. And then, but he does, the basically says, you know, uh, now I'm not racist, but he essentially says that. Yeah. Now, now I'm no racist. I'm no more a racist than you, Mr. Mayor. <laughs> and you're obviously not a racist. But it's obviously because of affirmative action that this has happened. And, yeah. And we're having to, it's just like Norman Wilson's face says it all because this just is is he's blaming all of the problems which he has perpetuated on because Burrell's in charge on yeah exactly <laughs> the, just, like, what's, what's, what's ridiculous about it is that he's criticizing a stats driven system in the Comstat we, he is Captain Comstat oh he is Absol- he loves the stats he does but I he think he loves chewing people out this is his opportunity to get the next rung up the ladder. Yeah, he's, he's, he's telling Carcetti what he wants to hear. What he thinks Carcetti wants to hear. Yeah, well, yes, exactly. Um, and obviously, I mean, Carcetti's been told that he can't, he personally can't fire Burrell, um, which is kind of understandable. And I don't think he'd even want, would he, would he even want Rawls in the top position? I think he's, he's Rawls is a better version, better at the two, but he's not the he's not the best person. No, his eyes, place. he wants, his eyes are, he only has eyes for Daniels. He has, which is great. Daniels is who he wants. <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you, I was just devastated. These are the ones for me um, as an advocate and a youth advocate and a, and a defense attorney that just make my stomach just turn, right? This is Kristen Henning. She's the director of the Georgetown Juvenile Justice Initiative and she's also the author of Rage of Innocence, How America Criminalizes Black Youth. So that literally, you know, it was two sort of back to back. There's almost a bet, right, between two groups of officers. How many arrests can they make? How many collars, I think they call it, can they make, you know, while Carcetti is on the ride along, right? Uh, Carcetti, I'm sorry, is on the ride along. And um, two, the first two that we get, one is of a guy who's on his way to work. He's on a bike on his way to work and he gets stopped by these undercovers who are like, hey, where do we get some drugs? Where do we get our stuff? And he's like, dude, over there. And they're like, but wait, wait, can't you help us go get him? And they literally send him and he's like, what? And you can see his face like, get out yourself and go get your own drugs. But I... Um, and he literally puts his bike down. He goes and gets the drugs, comes back, gets on his bike and tries to head on to work. And lo and behold, he gets stopped by officers. So he's the intermediary. He's not even like the, you know, like we don't even know for sure that on a regular day he would be a drug dealer. <laughs> right. He just literally gets asked, where do I get drugs? Can you go get me some? 
So that was that to me just was insane. They collar him, put him away. And, you know, even, you know, you know, Kirkett even like, really? Like, this is what we're doing for policing. Um, and, you know, and he, they describe it as bullshit policing. Right. Like, what are we doing? Right. Um, and they have, you know, there's this conversations about later about what constitutes real policing. Right. You know, real policing is that high end police work that really reduces violence. Right. Um, but instead, the politicians, the mayors um, and and the, you know, uh, the the police majors are under extreme pressure to reduce um, uh, or, or, you know, to to reduce crime and to get, you know, drugs off the street. And one of the ways they do it is by driving up their numbers. Right. Being able to say they had X number of, of arrests. And so that's where we get into sort of the the, the bullshit policing and real policing. Uh, which requires cultivating relationships, nuanced investigation and building your cases and investing resources on that end. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, I tell you, you know, um, policing is just has been so politicized in our country for years. Drug prohibition has excused the collapse of our uh, civil liberties, the destruction of the Fourth Amendment of our Bill of Rights for our Constitution. Um, it has taught generations of police how not to police. This is, of course, the man himself, David Simon. How to go in people's pockets, how to make stats, how to lock people up. But while they've been doing this and getting better and better at doing that, which is a meaningless act of, of non-police work, um, the arrest rates for murder, for rape, for robbery, for burglary, for assault uh, have declined uh, dramatically because those things rely on police work and a lot of skill sets really truly matter. And if you don't if you don't reward those skill sets, if you don't promote them, if you don't promote the police who are capable of them, if you don't pay the police to perform those jobs rather than you pay them to fill the wagons with drug users, then you get a police department, a police agency that can only police the drug war. And they can't actually solve crime or make, make the city safer. And that's what Baltimore's done. So we are now I'm now in in, in the most violent Baltimore that's ever existed in terms of the crime rate. Um, and we have a bunch of police who know how to go into people's pockets, run up on the corner. They don't need the, they don't need probable cause. They just, you know, you're, 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 Hey, you're in the corner, you're in my corner, recorders indicted. Let me, let me see what pockets. That's not, you know, you can't take that guy and put him in front of a, a dead body and say, solve that, <laughs> you know, address that. You know, he doesn't have the skill set. And and that's the police departments that we created over 50 years. I mean, it's been one generation knowing less, teaching the next generation to know even less. Just to round off the politics, there's an interesting scene um, where the uh, uh, a member of the, de the, de the Democrat Party visits the uh, their campaign office to sort of look a bit more long term and look, you know, kind of line Karketi up for a governor run uh, mm. in two years. So they're kind of saying what, what he needs to do and focus on. And she says, you know, right, well, you got to deliver your campaign promise of cutting crime by 10%, which mm -hmm. just ties into all this, you know, that's why he's big focus on crime. Sure. Um, yeah. But, you know, just incidentally in this room, it's brought up, you know, what about the schools? And then Norman Wilson, you know, very bluntly says you know stay away from just ca almost casually just no stay you gotta stay away from schools uh because and then he gives some context about it being like that was 
you know, a, a mess that Royce made. And then if you go in there and try and unpick that, it's going to become your mess. Mm. So basically they're saying, like, they're acknowledging, we've spent this season and a lot of this season with Prez and with these kids and, you know, learning of the issues and hearing it firsthand. Then we're up with the policymakers who are in a position where they can change it. And we and we we kind of I really like Norman Wilson as well, but he's just offhandedly saying, "You can't even just don't even bother, right? Because that's too much of a mess, and then it's going to affect your run for governor in two years." And yeah, that is why ca- <laughs> the democracy can fail. That's what that's what the system is just like. You're putting someone one person's per- career progression ahead of. Fixing a city, fixing a, a city, and, save, and a future, helping people, the future of the city. Yeah, exactly. It's it's dark. Um, and Norman, why was it you that said that? Why was it you that said that? But it's, it is but dark, I'm, and it's I just can, a, it's, it's the but it's almost just the offhandedness of it. There's no because there is no there's no callousness there. Yeah, because we know Norman's a good guy. I don't think Norman in any other rational situation he would believe that uh, in in like the right to he would want kids to be educated properly but he's just in this position in this job where they've all become desensitized to it and yeah. he's just looking at like everyone else he's looking at stats and polling figures and numbers and 10% reduction in crime gets you this I think it's like um, to bring in succession again we're going to weave in succession guys it's uh, the NRPI no real person involved that's yes, what they think of the schools that's exactly it yeah yeah just not, they're not real people they're not they're, they're below the line to them we know exactly where we lose our kids, where we create we create um, those desperate people of the future who then act out. This is the one and only bunk, Wendell Pierce himself. How people thrive from keeping an underclass, you know, thrive. Our education system was destroyed because people said, let's make it inclusive, and we have from that moment on in America said, oh, you want to make it inclusive? We're going to do everything possible to destroy the education system. So you want it? You got it. But now we're going to destroy it from within. I feel like what The Wire does overall is just points out that like that these these are all institutions. They're all institutions that that have problems. This is Jennifer Wood. She's the editor of Mental Floss. And they have problems that need to be fixed. But the way to fix them is then to like rope in another institution that has the same failings. So if I'm a school district need in need more money, um, you know, to help these kids, like I need to go to the politicians who are then trying to go here. So it's just like this constant, you know, like everyone's leaning on everyone. And it's a, I'm just put painting the world as a wonderful place right now. So just to round off Carchetti's tour of, Baltimore's police goes to homicide, which is great. Um, <laughs> he doesn't get as much of a warm welcome here, which I enjoy. I love it that the, the guys yeah. there don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, they really don't. No, They're, nobody's really pandering to him. I really enjoyed um, uh, Kima. Kima and the coffee. It was like you fill that coffee up, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> of course, she's it's just common decency. Well, yeah, exactly. But also, she's not afraid to tell him, and she's pissed off because of her. She got dragged through the muck with yeah. the witness case because of him. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but then we have some comedy scenes. They, well, we say people don't care, but at the same time, it's like oh, this is this is the mayor. We just 
we should at least keep up some appearances. Yeah, everyone's flicking through files. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like, don't mind me, do what you normally do. And it all turns... Uh, so, so Lester brings out his dollhouse. Brilliant. And his little furniture. Kima just puts her feet up and relaxes. And uh, what does Jay do? Landsman pulls out a porno mag. Yeah. Which isn't in his office. So where are these... Where is, <laughs> yeah. Why Why is he stashing these porno mags got, all around the office? Got them all around. He just needs them at like a moment's notice. <laughs> I didn't even thought about that. What's he doing? <laughs> <laughs> just stashed around the whole office. <laughs> I love that that's his thing, though. He reads porn, and he's also, but he's also a beautiful eulogy speech give writer. Right, because you get this, he he gets you get this offhand um, thing at the top uh, of that scene where he he's uh, announces the death of the um, the homicide commander. Yeah, Foster. Foster. Yeah. Um, and then he says some, you know, he he gives a sort of a a, a brief eulogy, but it's um, before they even get to the bar, and it's it's just like so be- he's got such a beautiful way with it words, well, landsman. So yeah, in, in the previous season. Um, Delaney Williams, the actor uh, who plays Jay Landsman, wasn't actually due to be around that much. Um, when Robert Cosby actually died, uh, who played Coles in the in the season, um, I think Delaney Williams was on was working in the theatre, but he wanted to come back to to be the one that delivered the eulogy. And you can see why, like I say, he Landsman is such a, an interesting character because he's, as you say, he's kind of the perfect middleman, perfect middle manager. He's happy being there. Yeah. Um, but then he's got some. He's, he's got some relatively effective. Yeah, he's yeah. got some fantastic attributes, and that's and that's one of them. Um, but also reads porn magazines. Yeah, hides porn magazines around the office. Stashes porn magazines around the office. I'm sure, like a squirrel, like a, like a porn squirrel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> porn squirrel. Hello, Kobe and Dave. This is Juan Carlos Ortecho from Lima, Peru. Uh, I'm uh, JC Ortecho on Twitter. Just wanted to thank you guys. Leave this message on the burner phone um, for the wonderful work you've done with The Wire Stripped. Massive fan of the show since I lived in the States many years ago. And you've been a great company on my evening walks here by the uh, South Pacific. You can probably hear it in the background with my dog Canelo. And uh, season four is hands down my favorite. Best season, best show ever. Thank you. And goodbye. Thank you very much for that uh, burner message. If you want to leave your own burner message, uh, you can do it by sending us a voice memo to this number. Take it away, Prez. Plus four, four, seven, five, three, four, eight. Three, one, six, five, eight. Our number. So if you didn't catch that, that's plus four, four, seven, five, three, four, eight, three, one, six, five, eight. That number's also on our social channels at The Wire Strip. Or if you don't like sending messages to phone numbers, send it via an email. Burner <laughs> at thewirestrip.com. Yeah, thank you very much to a frequent contributor, Joe Kiley, for uh, getting Prez. Uh, in an interview booth to record that number. Love for us. that. Um, if you did, 
Uh, whilst we have you here, guys, if you do want to get any more content from us, please go to www.patreon.com forward slash the wire strips and you can get more content. You can get um, episodes in advance, you can get exclusive episodes, you can get stickers all by joining us at patreon.com and any money that you give us there goes 100% to the Ella Thompson Fund which is a charity in Baltimore that is set up to help underprivileged kids think Cutty's gym and that's exactly who you're supporting in this uh, by contributing to our Patreon. All right we're in homicide so let's check in with Bunk and the uh, and the Omar case. So he's uh, he's hot on the trail. He's re he's <laughs> reopened this cold case. They are not. They are, Crutchfield and Holly are not happy. Um, but at least he convinces Holly. Uh, for yeah. me, Crutchfield. Um, I don't think we've seen much of him before before this. But um, no. he's comes across as he's a crutchety old guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> crutchety Crutchfield. <laughs> uh, but Holly, you know, he comes along and says, "I'll I'll I'll indulge you, bunk." I'll indulge your, your foibles. He seems quite easily swayed, yeah. all right. Um, I do like Holly, apart from when he, he beats up bubbles. Um, yeah, let's not talk about that. <laughs> so they um, so they go back over the, the scene, bonked like a badass, just walks in, like like Kima in the last episode, just mm. completely cracks the whole case open, just in one, in like, just one fell swoop. Walks in, hmm, asks asks old Andre a couple of questions. What about this? And is like, and then goes outside and schools uh, Holly, Holly on yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, broke it down in three, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, that's really cool, and I love it when you see good police, good police work, like we saw in the last episode with Kima, like we saw the fuck scene, like we saw with Lester. It's always nice when you see like it's satisfying, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's it's like neat when you watch that Sherlock kind of it is, pro- isn't it? process. Do you think he, the Bunk, deduction process? Do you think Bunk has a memory palace like Sherlock? I think so. Yeah, I think he was running. <laughs> he was seeing equations pop up in front of his eyes. For my friend here, tell me one more time how the thing went down, will you? The boy came in. Omar. Omar. He puts a nine on her. Says to me, "Whatever you got." Mm-hmm. A nine, huh? Where were you? Where you see me at? Mm-hmm. And then they play a whole game with, you know, they, uh, he's just such a good detective, such good police. We see him playing a game with uh, with uh, Andre in the in the jury summons and the grand jury summons, and it's all there's a lot of theatre with Bunk as well. It's like, yeah, well, how much ten you gonna get? Ten years? Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, it Andre swallows it anyway and uh, gets spooked and suddenly his memory gets a bit hazy oh could have been anybody <laughs> actually now that you mention it now I wouldn't go through this why'd you come out because you said to trying to save a life right Same. this is like Bank of England glass Fort Knox glass and who put that up there hmm? guy must have had an elephant gun some shit I don't know. The boy had a mask on. A mask, huh? Like Zorro, huh? <laughs> when did that happen? A few weeks back. Put in a report? It got away from me. Mm-hmm. Andre, we gonna need you to come down to the office Straighten out a couple of things, and then we get um, 
back to Jay, comes back to Jay, and he's got a, a black turned to red again. Yeah. He's not happy. That's the worst thing you can do to Jay, apart yeah. from hide his pornos. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll sniff them out anyway. Um, just a little bit I want to talk about, um, and I might just spoil a bit in season five for this because it's it's probably something I forget to talk about later on in season five. Minor spoilers for season five. Minor spoilers for season five. So the person, we see someone come into the shop to, to see old face uh, Andre, mm. and it's this character called Didi. Mm. Um, and you see her, you glimpse her in, I think it's the previous season, she's buying drugs out of a car. Yeah. In this season, you, the, the bit of in discourse you have with, um, she has with Andre, makes out that she's a prostitute. Um, and then you see her like in the scene in uh, season five where she's she's in uh, Narcotics Anonymous talking about how she's gone to recovery. Oh, yeah. And this is quite often picked out as like a really key, interesting character in the Y. You see like three times at three different stages in her life. And this is the second time you see her. Um, and then if I remember in season five, we'll, I'll bring it up again. Uh, but just harking back to this point, this is the second time you see this, this one person, Dee Dee. Yeah, that's nice. Get Take a little, note. Uh, little... Um subplot going on no more spoilers for season five <laughs> i like i love i love it when we hang out with chris and snoop um these guys are fierce and fucking scary and this comes off the back of prop joe almost saying guys you, you you're killing the guys which is good but you're doing too good a job <laughs> yeah yeah you're not that's you're not scared you need to send a message yeah. to these new york guys so, so let's you know, kill him your, your whole thing and i love how delicately he does this yeah <laughs> uh with slim charles and they're, they're just like no guys we're massive fans of the way <laughs> you're just shadowing people and making them disappear don't get us wrong but you need to send a message to new york or yeah. they'll just think that they've just gone back to brooklyn or whatever exactly um and and what i like about marlo is that like he's kind of He's getting a lot from this prop Joe relationship. Definitely. And he's, but he's listening. His ears open and he's like, he knows when to take good advice. He's not, he's not massively a proud person. I think he's, he's willing to accept advice. Um, and, uh, and he does. So Chris, so the solution is for Chris and Snoop to start openly killing people <laughs> <laughs> in the most public way possible. It's in, in, and in a very darkly comic way that they go about it, right? Yeah, it was, it's comic because the the way they're trying to determine who's from New York and who's from Baltimore is by what music they like. Yeah, but dark because when they find someone who doesn't know the music, they just shoot them in the face and walk off, and they don't even do not give a so flying fuck. Scary. Let's do it. I'm just gonna walk up on him, all right? Snap one. <laughs> we gotta make sure you're from New York first, right? Gotta ask. Ask what? You from New York? Nah, ask a Baltimore question. Some a New York nigga won't know. What's a Baltimore question, yo? I don't know, like, maybe something about club music. They don't know nothing about that shit up in New York. Huh? Asking, like, who Young League be. I like to watch the scene with Snoop and Chris walking up to people, asking them, and what do you say, who Young Leak needs? Chris would know who all of the people on the radio is because he, he drives around all day. This is the voice of Nathan Corbett, who played Donut. Right? And so when you think about it, it's like, damn, that shit makes sense. Like, 
and it, it almost reminds me of the no country for old men right when he walks into the shop and he tells the guy to flip the coin and this guy has no idea that one slight motion of anything is going to get this man killed so when they ask him the right question and snoop is about to smoke the man you know it's like man this brother had no idea what he was in for i love that scene i love all snoop snooping christine snooping uh christine man i don't know nothing about that 92 cube shit, man man who gives a fuck, yo you don't know mark clark the big fat morning show you ain't right girl the average Baltimore nigga know all that shit, right? They don't listen to that shit up in New York. A lot of a lot of the actors was already from New York, which is why they made it like that, right? And it and then the texture, the texture and the climax of that time in New York City, and the texture and the climax at the time in Baltimore, Maryland, there was a little war. There's like a little beef. If you was from New York and you, and you were from Baltimore, y'all came across each other. People were fighting or arguing or debating whatever the fuck he was doing, but. It was a real beef going on, you know, so the way you wear your clothes, the, the music, we was just different, the fashion, like, the women, it was different, you know what I'm saying? So, again, The Wire was really a show that didn't hide anything that was authentic to the culture. Shaking and jiggling, yo. Who made that track? Yo, who you talking to, dog? I'm asking who Young Big be. You mean Too Fast Cousin? Who? Nah. Nigga, they had a fuck shit I know. Yo, who the fuck is you talking Oh, shit. Bitch. Fuck on you. Baltimore picked you out a lineup quick. They know if you're not from Baltimore. If you're from New York, did they know you, man, you ain't from around here. Too rich, you doing, dick? You doing that? Because that is they know. But you just got to be on point. And then, like, you know, it comes with it. New York cats, they think they can go anywhere and set them shop. They they sell rocks to their, God, to their grandma. They go anywhere and set up shop. They just be like, hey, we going to go. And that's one thing I take my hat off to New Yorkers. They go, they, opportunity opens, they going to go. Um, and that was another piece of good writing because New York came down to Baltimore. Also, New York went to D.C. and hustled and shut up shop. A lot of them was killed and a lot of them wasn't. A lot of them survived and a lot of them didn't. Yeah, but that was real. That was 100% real. It's such good writing, The this little um, scene um, between uh, Chris and... Chris and Snoop. So hats off to uh, uh, Richard Price who wrote this episode. This the the interactions that they have when they're trying to concoct this plan, this yeah. little back and forth, where Chris is like reeling off all these local Baltimore stations, and and, and Snoop's like, "What are you talking about, man?" And he's like, you, "How you? How do you? You know, you even from Baltimore? You don't know X Y Z." But also, while also just like proving the point of the. F- pointlessness of the system he's absolutely yeah she's from baltimore <laughs> and, and she doesn't, doesn't know. know what you're talking about and i love it when um she she accosts the first guy and gets it completely wrong she's <laughs> yeah. literally about to pull she's the like, trigger no way. Like, no way that guy was also on that show <laughs> yeah yeah got a bet going on man so who's your favorite one on a big fat morning show yo what, your new york girl 
Ooh. Ooh. Get what I show any day. Snoop, Snoop, yo, Snoop, yo, yo, chill, yo. Sanjay be on the show too. Oh, I'll How close that man came to dying for oh, fucking nothing. hell, yeah. So maybe I ask the questions from now on, right? <laughs> it's so oh god, it's so dark. It is, it is dark. It's funny and mm. scary and dark, and it is it is superbly written. And then we get again, prop Joe being just awesome and so gutted we never have the opportunity to speak to Robert Chu. Uh, but prop mm. Joe takes the card that Marlo Marlo found from uh, got Marlo got from. From Herc. Um, oh, God. And he brings the card to the payphone. Yeah. And starts... To, his, this is one of my favorite scenes in all of The Wire. <laughs> Prop Joe's whole, like, theater of theater of the mind. All these all voices. voices. Brilliant. Oh, my God. The tour. But he, like, he could have just... What I love about this scene is that Joe could have just stuck with the one voice for well, all of these calls exactly and he's cha he's challenging himself <laughs> to mix it up like he, he like he's talking to different people every time it could have just been the same pretend doctor but it's like no now I'm a <laughs> now I'm a neurosurgeon from <laughs> like but also and like, the name changes each time as well <laughs> yes yeah, like it's it's absolute genius it just shows you the creativity of this man mm. that like you know we've seen him be wise and calm and reassuring but like we've never seen him be like playful and like I just I love how confidently he switches between characters as well. It's so delightful. But what we do find, what we do see a little piece which does play into later episodes, guys. So listen out is um, Herc does stop Chris and and Snoop. Mm. Um, and they they've got a little cheeky gun compartment, which is in a different area to the glove box. Yeah, it's clever, isn't it? And they put the gun in there. Hides away, and um, they search the car. Don't find anything, but they find the they find a nail gun. Yeah, and uh, obviously Herc pissed off. He's like, he just he fires a nail gun into the, into the pavement, into the road, and then leaves them to go off. And they're so close to being caught um, with a gun. I don't sure what Herc knew. I don't think Herc knew what he was looking for really. Herc's just looking to intimidate them. Yeah. He's, this is Herc looking for his camera, right? Yeah. So he's just going to... I'll be up all them. your faces. He Like, he's hassling Marlo. He's hassling all of um, uh, Marlo's people until he gets his camera back. <laughs> well, let's go back to the camera then. Because the reason he's scared about the camera is because Mario is on his case. And Herc didn't get the camera legitimately. He just took it without yeah. asking. Um, and Marimos had a complaint about Herc from the woman he accosted from, at the airport from the skinny lady oh, sorry at the train station yeah um, <clears throat> and he asked who his CI is so so obviously Herc had put down like um, uh, a CI rather than the surveillance camera which he's got he's like he's, he's tied himself up in knots for no reason for no reason just to try and <laughs> get Marlo just do it legitimately like you were there for season one of The Wire man you saw you saw how you saw it's how done it. it might take a bit longer <laughs> But that's exactly that's exactly why he hasn't done it. He wants quick solutions to everything. That's why he's screaming at Randy for um <clears throat> like tell me you were there. Yeah. He just wants, he wants the everything right now. Straight away. Right. Uh but it brings about Fuzzy Dunlop, which is like when I, when he said it, I was like, Yay, Fuzzy Dunlop <laughs> One of our favourite characters. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, where's this gonna go for you, Fuzzy Dunlop? Why you what are you doing? What are you doing, mate? Uh Herc, I love you, but at the same time, stop it. <laughs> 
Right, that's it from us this week. So next week we're going to be chatting about episode nine of season four. It's called Know Your Place. Uh, and uh, as always, we would like to thank Martin and Sam from the Song by Song podcast who wrote this awesome cover of Way Down in the Hole, which you're hearing right now. Yeah, thank you very much to um, Black Snow Comics on Instagram, that's AKA Michael Balistrieri, who made the images for season four of The Four Boys of Summer, for example. Guys, you can see it right now, and it's great. Thank you very much, Mark. A big shout out to our overlord, exec producer, and editor, T-Bone Tom Wally. Yeah, and also the guy that keeps everything going on this on this careering train, it's Obi Joshua, our producer. Thank you so much. If dude. it wasn't for Obi, these series would be released every four years instead of every <laughs> one to two years. Right, and... <laughs> Like an Olympic cycle, you mean? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Every time there's Olympics. Um, and uh, lastly, uh, all of our transcribing is done with the help of Sonics, S-O-N-I-X. Uh, and you can get 100 free minutes of transcriptions. If you need transcriptions, then do it at sonics.ai forward slash invite forward slash stripped. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. You just heard a stripped media production.